بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب so right now we're discussing حديث number six the حديث of النعمان بن بشير رضي الله تعالى عنهما الشيخ عبد المحسن عباد explanation of this hadith is divided into how many parts? Six. And we reached part number? We reached part number what? Last lesson. Four. We reached part number four. So from this hadith we have uh, come to know that Things are divided into three parts. Number one is the clear-cut halal. Things that everybody knows, they're halal. Number two, MashaAllah, clear-cut haram. Everybody knows they're haram. Number three, uh, doubtful matters. Those matters that people, they don't know whether it is halal, whether it is haram. Um, Although some might, some they might know it, but most people they don't know it. The statement of Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, فَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبُهَاتِ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ Whoever falls into the shubuhat falls into the haram. This can carry two potential meanings. Imam al-Nawawi, when he explained this hadith, he said it can carry two potential meanings. What are those two potential meanings? Number one, Yunus. Sorry? He falls into the haram, but he thinks it is halal. He thinks it is okay. He doesn't think that it is haram. So that's one potential meaning. Another one, Ammar. Okay, so what, 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 is, what, is, what does that mean though? What, does that, what could that lead to? <coughs> What's the second potential meaning that Imam Mannawi mentions? Ah. Yes, it will eventually lead to the haram. It will lead to the haram. It isn't haram. It's close. To, it's, he's doubtful as to whether or not it's halal or haram. That could eventually lead him to, to doing something that is clearly haram. Part number five. Part number five is the fact that the narrator of this hadith is An-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. And he is from the Sihar al-Sahaba. He is from the younger, younger ones of the companions. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, when he passed away, then Nu'man ibn Bashir was eight years old. Nu'man ibn Bashir was eight years old when... Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away. So he's only one year bigger than you, isn't it? Only one year bigger than you. However, he says in this narration, Sami'tu Rasulullah. I heard the Messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam say. This therefore shows that a narration, a hadith, that is related by a companion a narration that he heard when he was small is accepted. A narration that a companion heard as a child, then that is something 
that is accepted. Just like the narration that somebody heard while he was a disbeliever, but then later on he became a Muslim, and then he relates that narration, that narration, that statement of the Messenger والسلام, that he heard, that action of the Messenger والسلام, that he saw, that approval of the Messenger والسلام, that he may have been aware of, a person relating a statement of the Messenger والسلام, relating a narration that he heard when he was a disbeliever and then he relates it when he became a Muslim, that narration is accepted as well. That is part number five. Ah. Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abad he says that he narrates it when he's older. Narrates it when he's older. Number six is the summary of benefits that are derived from this hadith. Number one. Bayan taqseem al ashiya fi shari'ati ila halal bayin wa haram bayin wa mushtabihun mutaraddid baynahuma. That in this hadith things have been classified. Divided into those that are absolutely clear, those that are absolutely uh, those that are absolutely halal, and clearly halal, those that are clearly haram, and those matters that a person is wavering concerning, he is doubtful concerning. Number two, that the matters that are doubtful. Most people don't know the ruling concerning them. However, some may know the ruling behind those matters with the evidence of those matters. Number three. In this hadith, there is a highlighting of the, uh, of the fact that we should Leave off those dubious matters up until we know whether or not they are permissible. Number four. So in this hadith, we have a clear example of the Messenger والسلام, uh, uh, striking an example of something, so, so uh, using a physical thing as an example to represent something that is abstract in meaning. Here the Messenger والسلام, is telling us about the mushtabihat, unclear matters that a person should keep away from them. They, are harm, they could be harmful for you and your deen. They could cause you to fall into haram. And then he likens it to a shepherd who allows his cattle to graze near the boundaries of the protected part of the field. The field that part that, that field that has been protected by the king, for example. So the Messenger gives a physical example in order to embed the meaning behind. This principle of not approaching, not going near those matters that a person is doubtful concerning. Number five. 
that if a person falls into matters that are doubtful, then it becomes easier and more probable for him to fall into those matters that are absolutely clear. Those matters that are clearly haram. Number six. Number six. This hadith highlights the great station of the heart. It highlights the great station of the, of the heart. That all of the other bodily parts that you have, all of the rest of your organs, they follow your heart. If your heart is sound, then the rest of your body will be sound. If your heart is corrupt and evil, then your, the rest of your body will be corrupt and evil. Number seven. External corruption. A person being, uh, 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 or the fact that you can clearly see the corruption of a person externally, that indicates that he is internally corrupt as well. External corruption is an indication of internal corruption. A person's actions are vile, evil, foul. That indicates that his heart is likewise like that. Number eight. That by you keeping away from the doubtful dubi- those, those doubtful matters, by way of that, you are protecting your deen from falling into def- deficiency, from being deficient in your deen. And likewise, you're, being, you're protecting your honor from being blamed and rebuked by others. <coughs> so that is hadith number 6 Now let's move on to hadith number 7 An Abi Ruqayyata Tamim ibn Awsin al-Dari Radiyallahu ta'ala anha Anna Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Aqal Ad-deenu al-Nasiha Qulna liman Qala lillahi Wali kitabihi Wali rasulihi وَلِأَئِمَّةِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَعَامَّتِهِمْ رواه مسلم The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, The deen is nasiha. The deen is nasiha. So he said, for whom? The companions, they said, for whom? He said, for Allah, for his book, for his messenger, for the general, for the uh, leaders of the Muslim, Muslims, and their general folk. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abad's explanation to this hadith is divided into three parts. Obviously, part number three being a summary of the benefits. So the hadith is short. We'll complete it, inshallah ta'ala, uh, in this lesson. Number one. The statement of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, ad-deen al-nasiha. Al-Nasiha, what does Al-Nasiha mean? Huh? Okay, it can mean good advice. What does it mean literally in, Arabic, in the Arabic language? Literally means to be pure. To be pure. To be clear. Uh, pureness. Clearness. Sincerity. Unadulterated. If you said that this person, uh, يعني, he, uh, so-and-so, uh, 
such and such nasaha such and such nasaha meaning meaning it is clear pure unadulterated okay if someone observed a nasiha to you meaning he's being clear with you he's being frank with you he's being sincere to you it's unpolluted his advice to you his action towards you his intent towards you is pure clean unadulterated yep so now as far as these matters are concerned and nasiha to allah this uh, uh, being uh, pure purity in your intention purity in your action towards allah purity in your intention purity in your action towards the book of allah purity in your intention purity in your action to the messenger of allah purity in your intention purity in your action towards the muslim leaders and fifthly purity in your intention and purity in your action towards the general muslims what does this mean now how is that translated in physical reality concerning this this is this is part number two of sheikh abdul muhsin explanation and what he does here he brings a quotation from ibn al-salah ibn al-salah one of the great scholars of the of the past scholar of hadith and ulum uh, al-hadith so ibn al-salah he said concerning al-nasiha that it is a collective term that is in reference to uh, a person being sincere in his intentions and his actions towards al-mansuh towards towards the one that a person is observing or is um, delivering this nasiha to or directing this nasiha to so now as far as those five categories that the messenger mentioned that uh, a nasiha is for oh sorry before we before we go into that part number one part number one we skipped a bit sorry part number one sheikh abdul muhsin abad he says concerning ad-din al-nasiha hadhihi kalimatun jami'atun tadullu ala ahamiyyati an-nasiha fi ad-din wa annaha asasuhu wa imaduhu so this statement that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam made when he said ad-din al-nasiha the deen is nasiha this indicates the great importance of an-nasiha this great importance of being sincere sincere and then the five categories to allah to the messenger and so on and so forth but this nasiha it shows the great importance of it and the fact that the whole of the deen is included within it the whole of the deen is included within it how do we know that because the messenger says ad-deenun nasiha the deen is nasiha and then in the hadith that we studied from the second hadith in this collection the hadith of umar ibn al-khattab radiyallahu ta'ala anhu in that hadith islam iman and ihsan was mentioned and then the messenger says at the end hada jibril that was jibril that was jibril he came to teach you your deen therefore islam iman ihsan it is inclusive of this inclusive of an nasiha why does the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam say ad-deen an-nasiha the deen is an-nasiha why does why does he describe the whole deen as being an-nasiha 
this sincerity. Why? Because of the great importance of a nasiha. Because it is a great pillar, a great uh, part of the deen. It is a great part of the deen. It is an essential part of the deen. Just like the Messenger والسلام, he said, Al Hajju Arafa. Al Hajju Arafa. Al Hajj, that is Arafa. Al Hajj is Arafa. Arafa is what? When the, when the Muslims they stand and they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on Arafa, the day of Arafa, when they're making Hajj. That is a pillar from the pillars of Hajj. But because of the great station of Yom Arafa, on Hajj, the Messenger said, Al-Hajj Arafa. Al-Hajj Arafa. To highlight the great station and importance that it is Ar-Rukun Al-A'zam, the greatest pillar of Hajj. Because Arafa is the greatest pillar of Hajj, the Messenger said, Al-Hajj Arafa. So in a similar fashion, the Messenger said, Al-Deen Al-Nasiha. The Deen is Al-Nasiha to highlight the great station and importance of Al-Nasiha. So that is part number one. So part number two, what is a nasiha to Allah? Uh, what does it mean? What, what does a nasiha to the book of Allah mean? What does a nasiha to the messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu salam, what does it mean? So as far as a nasiha, lillahi tabarak wa ta'ala, then it is, as Ibn Salah, he said, tawheeduhu wa wasfuhu bisifati al-kamali wal jalali jam'an, that it is, to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to describe him with, at, with attributes of perfection and magnificence. And to declare Allah free and above and beyond. To declare him free of those things that contradict and go against those sublime attributes of his. وَتَجَنُّبُ مُعَاصِيهِ مُعَاصِيهِ Likewise, النَّسِيحَ to Allah means keeping away from sinning against him. وَالْقِيَامُ بِطَاعَتِهِ وَمَحَابِهِ بِوَصْفِ الْإِخْلَاسِ That a person, he establishes the obedience of Allah and he Yani, uh, 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 he, carry, he carries out the obedience of Allah and he does those things that Allah loves with sincerity, by being sincere. Yani, he does those things out of sincerity. He does them while he is someone that is characterized with the characteristic of sincerity. What does this mean? You love for him, love for Allah, and that you hate for him, hate for Allah. That you perform jihad against the one that disbelieves in him. Jihad in its in a one single form, jihad on the battlefield, is that what it's being referred to? No. Jihad in all of its forms. Jihad of the heart, jihad of the tongue, jihad of the limbs. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala, he mentions 13 different levels of jihad, four different categories, each category having its uh, subcategories. So jihad isn't just jihad on the battlefield, jihad is of its levels. And whatever is similar to that. So what Ibn Salah mentioned here, 
That is a brief mentioning of those things that are considered An-Nasiha Lillah Nasiha to Allah is these things Establishing his Tawheed Keeping away from sinning against him Declaring him free uh, Free and يعني, uh, far removed From those things that contradict his sublime And go against his sublime attributes Keeping away from sinning against him uh, Fulfilling those acts that he has told us to fulfill Doing those things that Allah loves Loving for his sake, hating for his sake Jihad for his sake All of these things they are considered an nasiha lillah Number two an nasiha li kitabihi What is an nasiha? Literally being clear, being pure Being pure and, and clear and unadulterated In terms of your intent And in terms of your actions Towards the deen, uh, towards uh, the kitab. What does this mean? What does it mean to have nasiha to the Quran? What does it mean to have to be pure and clear, unadulterated, sincere to the book of Allah? What does this mean? It means the following: al imanu bihi, to have iman in the book of Allah and to honor it. And to يعني, uh, uh, venerate it. And to recite it as and how it is meant to be recited. Meaning by following it. Tilawa comes from the verb tala, to follow. So the way that you truly recite the Book of Allah, obviously, you uh, recite it. Pronouncing those letters from its makharij and what have you. But likewise following it, following the book of Allah. Upholding the commands that are in the book of Allah. And the prohibitions that are contained within it. That you understand the knowledge that is contained within the book of Allah. And the examples and the parables that are struck within the book of Allah, that you understand them, you gain understanding concerning it. That you reflect upon the ayat that are in the book of Allah. And that you preach towards it. You preach towards the ayat of Allah. You invite towards the ayat of Allah. You invite towards the book of Allah. And that you repel the distortions of those that distort and the deviations of those that deviate from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The distortions and the deviations that they bring about concerning the book of Allah, that you repel those distortions and those deviations. So that there is what Ibn Salah he said concerning An-Nasiha Li-Kitabillah. What does it mean to be, uh, to, 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 to be sincere towards the book of Allah? It means what Ibn Salah just said. Number three, النصيحة لرسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم قريب من ذلك الإيمان به وبما جاء به وتوقيره وتبجيله. الإيمان in the Prophet عليه النصيحة to the Prophet عليه الصلاة والسلام النصيحة to the Messenger of Allah عليه الصلاة والسلام being sincere, being pure, being clear to the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام in your intentions and in your actions. What does this, how is this translated in your life? How does it come into being? It comes into being by the following. 
by having iman in what the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam came with by honoring him and respecting him sallallahu alayhi wasallam by holding on to uh, obeying him by clinging on to his obedience by clinging on to his obedience wa ihya'u sunnatihi by giving life to his sunnah people have stopped practicing his sunnah people have stopped following his sunnah the messenger told us that a deen on nasiha the deen is nasiha among those matters is a nasiha li rasulina nasiha to our messenger how do you bring this into reality from among the ways that you bring a nasiha to rasulun al-kareem alayhi salatu wasalam is by giving life to his sunnah people have stopped practicing his sunnah so you give life to it likewise by bringing into action يعني علوم علومها ونشرها bringing into action the uh, 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 the علوم the sciences of his sunnah the, the knowledge of his sunnah and spreading it circulating it وَمُعَادَاتُ مَنْ عَادَاهُ وَعَادَاهَا وَمُوَالَاتُ مَنْ وَالَاهُ وَوَالَاهَا Likewise, having animosity against the ones that have enmity against the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam and enmity against his sunnah while being loyal to the ones that are loyal to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam loyal to his sunnah this obviously doesn't mean this animosity enmity this doesn't mean that a person gets say uh, physically harms a person that is uh, uh, a someone that is uh, an enemy to the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam no those matters of warfare and what have you they are for the leaders the rulers of the country of the muslims not for the general muslim population but no doubt you have no love for them and you have no uh, there is no karama for those type of people for the people that are people of deviation people that are ala sunnah, those that are uh, stubborn in repelling and going against the sunnah of the messenger والسلام, they have no love from us they have no type of uh, يعني, friend, uh, friendship from us at all and then Ibn Salah he says and to adorn yourself with the akhlaq of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. And to have the manners of the, man, of, the, of the manners of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. To adorn yourself with the, uh, with the, with the uh, akhlaq of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. The etiquettes, the characteristics of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. To adorn yourself with his manners because he is ala khuluqin azim. Allah's Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he is upon a high and lofty standard of character salawatu alayhi wasalam hu alayhi wa muhabbat alihi wa sahabatihi wa nahwi thalika Likewise, loving his family and his companions and matters that are similar to that. So that is a nasiha to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Number four. Number one was an nasiha lillah. Number two was An-Nasiha Li-Kitabillah. Number three, An-Nasiha Li-Rasulillah. Number four is An-Nasiha. This sincerity to whom? What's number four? Ammar is counting them in his head now. 
I'll ask, we'll give you some time. Before general. Before the general Muslim. Uh, the leaders, Ahsan. So number four is the leaders. The, the A'imma of the Muslimin, meaning the leaders of the Muslims, their leaders, their rulers. How is this a nasiha actualized? It is by aiding them, helping them. And aiding them and helping them in the truth, upon the truth. Aiding them and helping them upon the truth. And obeying them in that regard. They command you with the truth, obey them. And cautioning them and uh, reminding them with whatever you think that they need to be cautioned and warned and reminded concerning. Cautioning and warning and reminding them. Birifqin wa lutfin. With gentleness and softness. And again, this is not something that a person does in public. Publicly goes and he advises, cautions, warns, alerts the leader. But rather he does it privately and there are texts concerning that. Uh, as to how the Salaf would advise the leaders in private. And likewise, from a nasiha to the Muslim leaders is refraining from rebelling against them. Refraining from, yani, revolting against the leaders. The revolt that occurred in the Arab Spring, that was impermissible, not allowed in our, in our deen at all. Not allowed in our deen. That there is something that is not considered a nasiha li a'immatil muslimin. Rather it goes against what the Messenger said. The Messenger said, nasiha, the deen is nasiha, among it is a nasiha li a'immatil muslimin, the leaders of the Muslims. So revolting against the leaders is not a nasiha for them, it goes against a nasiha. Not revolting against them, keeping away from revolting against them, that is a nasiha. For that reason, for that reason you find Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahimahullah ta'ala even though the leader at that time, he was imposing, or imposing upon them a belief, a belief that was a belief of kufr. To say that the Qur'an is created is a belief of kufr. Not just that, having those that don't agree with him, those scholars and jurists that don't agree with him, having them, Slaughtered, having them killed or at least imprisoned and tortured. Imam Ahmad was tortured himself. Yet what would he do? He would still address the leader as what? Amirul Mu'mineen, leaders of the believers. Leader of the believers. And not rebelling against him. Not revolting against him. Because that would have caused much more bloodshed and much more harm. And likewise, they from Allah... Leaders of, for the leaders of the, of the Muslims is that a person makes dua for them for tawfiq a dua for them makes dua for them for tawfiq likewise encouraging others to do that as well that is a nasiha for the leader, leaders of the believers you don't revolt against them but rather you make dua for them that is Actual and nasiha. That's ibadah. That is something that Allah is pleased with. That you make dua for them.
for the leaders, whether they are righteous or unrighteous. Allah makes them righteous. Allah makes them sound. What is the benefit in spending hours upon hours upon hours in a gathering? Counting the mistakes of a leader and criticizing the leader and backbiting the leader. What benefit is it going to do? While you're sitting at home and you know, you, you doing your 9 to 5 job and what have you. What are you doing? Your backbiting the leader is not going to bring any benefit at all. What can bring benefit is making dua for him. So how e however evil that leader may be, leave off the sinning of indulging in his flesh, because at the end of the day he is a Muslim, and rather replace that by making dua for him. <coughs> and likewise encouraging others to do so. And fifthly, and lastly, al-nasiha to the general Muslims. General Muslim population. Who are they? They are those who are everybody from the Muslims that are besides the leaders. Everybody from the Muslims that are besides the governing leaders. So, what does it mean? What does Ibn Salah say? What did Ibn Salah say concerning this? What does it entail? entails directing them to those matters that are beneficial for them. Directing your Muslim brothers, your Muslim sisters to those matters that are beneficial for, for, that, for them. Teaching them those matters that are beneficial for, for them. From the affairs of the deen. And likewise from the affairs of the, of the dunya. That is considered a nasiha to you, to the Muslims, the general Muslims. Directing them to what is good for them, beneficial for them, in their deen and their dunya. Likewise, covering their awrat, uh, 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 their mistakes. Covering their mistakes that they make and the uh, uh, faults that they have. Covering the faults of your Muslim brothers and sisters. And likewise, fulfilling their needs. You have a Muslim brother, a Muslim sister. You have a Muslim society, a Muslim community. They have needs. And you have the ability to fulfill their needs, fulfill it, and that is considered a nasiha li'amati muslimin Likewise, aiding them against their enemies, <coughs> defending them, refraining from being deceitful towards them, refraining from being jealous towards them, and loving for them what you love for yourself. And hating for them what you hate for yourself and those things that are similar to this, that is a nasiha li'amatil muslimin. That is a nasiha to the general Muslims. So that is part number two. Part number three is a summary of the benefits. Does anything need repeating from part number uh, two? Right? Those that were writing. Down, they've got everything down that they need. Nothing needs repeating. Part number three. Mimma yustafadu min al-hadith. So part number three is a summary of the benefits. Five points that Sheikh, Muhammad, uh, Sheikh Abdul Mahsin Abbad mentions. Number one. Now this hadith, it clarifies the great station of nasiha. Uh, and the great status that it carries in our deen. Nasiha has a great station and status in our deen. That is highlighted by the fact that the messenger said, Ad-Deenun Nasiha. The Deen is Nasiha. Number two. 
In this hadith, the Messenger والسلام, mentioned to us for whom a nasiha is meant to be. For whom, and likewise for what a nasiha is meant to be, يعني, to meant, meant to be for. For whom is a nasiha? For what is a nasiha directed to whom and to what? Number three, الحث على, نس... الحث على النصيحة في الخمس المذكور في الحديث. Number three, that the Messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام, he now in... he encourages us, and it is an encouragement to direct a nasiha and to have a nasiha and to make a nasiha towards those five mentioned uh, things in the hadith. يعني النصيحة to Allah, to his book, to his messenger, to the leaders and to the Muslims. Number four, this hadith in it, there is the keenness of the companions to know the affairs of their deen. The messenger said, الدِّينُ النَّصِيحَةِ The Sahaba, they said, لِمَنْ For whom is it nasiha? So this shows the keenness of the companions to know their, the affairs of their deen. Because they asked the Messenger والسلام, for whom is الدين النصيحة for? Number five, أن الدين يطلق على العمل لكونه سمى النصيحة دينا. Number five is the fact that the word الدين is uh, used in reference to action. Why? Because the Messenger والسلام, he called النصيحة الدين. Number five, أن الدين يطلق على العمل. The word deen is used in reference to action because النصيحه in this hadith was named as الدين. طيب, so that is part number three and the final part of this hadith or the final part of this hadith's explanation. Now we'll move on to الحديث الثامن, the eighth hadith. The eighth hadith. Anybody memorize this one? Eighth hadith. It's okay. لا عليكم. There's no blame upon you, because it wasn't it wasn't the homework. Was it wasn't the homework, was it? Okay, it's okay. الحديث الثامن. Eighth hadith. عن ابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال أمرت أن أقاتل الناس حتى يشهدوا لا إله إلا الله. وأن محمد رسول الله ابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما he said that the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام said I have been commanded to fight the people up until they testify that no God has the right of being worshipped except Allah and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah ويقيم الصلاة and that they establish the salah ويؤت الزكاة and that they give as zakah. فَإِذَا فَعَلُوا ذَلِكَ عَصَمُوا مِنِّي دِمَاءَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ إِلَّا بِحَقِّ الْإِسْلَامِ So if they end up doing that, if they end up saying the shahada, shahada and giving the salah and giving the zakah, then they will have a guarantee of protection from me concerning their blood, meaning their lives, and their wealth, Except by the right of Islam, yeah, and except by the right that Islam demands, ta'ala, and their reckoning will be, and their reckoning is with Allah the Most High. Rawahul Bukhari wa Muslim. 
So this hadith is divided into six parts. No, sorry, seven parts, and then the seventh part being a summary of the benefits. So number one. <coughs> number one. Yani with this hadith here. Number one. Umirtu. The messenger says, Umirtu. I have been ordered. So the one that is ordering is whom? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one that is ordering is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam says, Umirtu, I have been commanded, I have been commanded, then the one that is commanding is Allah. When the Sahaba say, Umirna bikadha, oh, Nuhina an kadha, we were ordered with this, we were prohibited from that and this and that, then who is the one that is ordering them? Who is the one that is prohibiting them? When the messenger says, Umirtu, I was commanded, meaning the, com the one that is commanding is Allah. When the Sahaba say, Umirna, we have been ordered, then who is the one that is ordering them? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So that is the first matter. The messenger says, Umirtu. Umirtu an uqatil an nas. One thing that is very important to clarify here. That the messenger alayhi salatu wa salam, he said, Umirtu an uqatil an-nas. I was ordered to make muqatala of people. I was ordered to make muqatala of people. Muqatala, that there is a verbal noun that indicates yani musharaka. Yani that there needs to be someone else participating as well. That you are doing the action, but likewise there needs to be someone else that is also doing the action against you. Yani, the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Umirtu an uqatil an-nas. I was ordered to make muqatala of an-nas. And he didn't say, Umirtu an aqtul an-nas. Very important that a person is aware of this. Especially because of the current climate. Especially because of the country that you live in. Especially because you are a person that ascribes yourself to Sunnah and Salafiyyah. And the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah and the Salafiyyah, it is being tarn, it is being yani, uh, marred by a people that are fallaciously attempting to ascribe themselves to Sunnah. Ascribe themselves to Salafiyyah. The terrorists... ISIS and what have you, they try to ascribe themselves to Salafiyya. Very important that we make a distinction so that when people do bring this shubha, you can clearly refute it. The messenger says, Umirtu an uqatil an nas. I have been ordered to make muqatala with the people. And he did not say, Umirtu an aqtul an nas. He didn't say, I've been ordered to make qatil of the people, killing of the people. He said, I've been ordered to fight, meaning that there is someone else that is fighting us as well. It isn't the case that I have been ordered to go and kill people just because they don't believe in Islam, just because they don't testify to the Shahada, just because they don't give a salam. La. I have been commanded to make muqatala. Muqatala meaning fighting those, yani fighting those that are likewise fighting 
as. That is just that is just by looking at the the verb itself. Umirtu an nas. I've been ordered to make muqatala of the people. Meaning there has to be an opponent that is engaging in the same verb. Muqatala ala wasn't mufa'ala. Muqatala is upon the verbal pattern of mufa'ala. Mufa'ala indicates musharaka, that there is participation happening. But not just that. Umirtu an uqatil annas. I've been ordered to fight to fight annas. There's a definite article there. I've been ordered to fight people. Did the messenger say? I've been ordered to fight people. He didn't say this. I've been ordered to fight the people. The people. So there is a specific type of people, specific category of people. Who are they then? Those that are fighting you. Those that are fighting you. As Allah Jalla wa Ala, He said in Surah Al-Baqarah, uh, Ayah 190, وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ Fight, make a, 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 a qital in the path of Allah. Meaning, make qital, fight, Sincerely for the sake of Allah, seeking nothing other than the pleasure of Allah, seeking nothing other than i'la kalimatillah, raising of the kalima of Allah. Waqatilu fi sabilillah, fight in the path of Allah. Many of the terrorists, such as ISIS, they might quote this ayah. And likewise, on the other side, the um, right wing activists and the professional haters of Islam. They will also quote this ayah. It is like they come from the same madhab as ISIS themselves. It is like the right-wing professional Islam haters. They are taking from some type of madhab that they and ISIS share and they and the terrorists share. So they'll quote this ayah. You Muslims, you in your book it says, fight in the path of Allah. But they forget to quote the rest of the ayah. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those that يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those that are fighting you. Not just that. وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا And don't make عدوان. Don't transgress. إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُحِبُّ الْمُعْتَدِينَ Indeed Allah does not love those that transgress. Now if only the right-wing activists, the haters of Islam, all of these organizations that you see propping up, declaring their hatred and animosity to this peaceful deen of Islam because it brings peace to the heart and it brings peace to society, those that adhere to it, if only they could just quote the whole ayah and be just and fair. But alas, you can't help a coward from his cowardness. وَقَاتِلُوا الَّذِينَ وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ فِي سَبِيلِ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ Those that are fighting you. So the ones that are fighting the Messenger of Allah والسلام, He was commanded to fight against them. The deen of Islam, it was not spread by the sword, i.e. It wasn't spread by invading countries forcing them to embrace Islam, that the deen of Islam gives them two options. 
either embrace Islam or we're going to cut off your heads. That isn't the deen of Islam. But rather, the deen of Islam, you found, for example, when Umar ibn al-Khattab, when in his era, the Muslims, when they uh, took over Bayt al-Maqdis, the Christians, they welcomed them. And any Muslim society that has adhered to the principles that are founded in Islam, based within Islam, concerning warfare and concerning the spread of Islam, and concerning governance in general, any Muslim society that has stuck to the guidelines that Islam calls to as far as governance is concerned, you'll find that non-Muslim societies welcome them. And for that reason, Jews have existed today, up until today even, safely existing with Muslims in Yemen, Muslims in Morocco. Christians have existed up until today within Egypt. Rather, Jews would go and seek sanctuary with the Muslims under Muslim governments, under Muslim authority, running away from the persecution of the, of the Christians. So, when the Muslims went into lands, when they were adhering to Islam, if a Muslim nation, if a Muslim society goes and plunders a land, and that is them doing so as a result of them adhering to Islam or as a result of them actually going against Islam. The former or the latter? The latter. As a result of Muslims, for example, ISIS, going against the laws of Islam, then no doubt they will plunder and they'll cause evil. But the deen of Islam itself never ever has it called to the forcing of the religion down the throats of people. Rather, Allah has said, La ikraha fi deen. There is no compulsion in the religion, no forcing in the religion. The truth is clear from the falsehood. Whoever wants to follow it, they'll follow it. Whoever wants to disbelieve in it, they'll disbelieve in it. So therefore, deen of Islam, no, the, the, uh, the people that come with the shabahat, they should, what they do is what they, they end up comparing. They end up comparing the Muslim empire or the Islam spreading to different countries like they spread their ideology and like they went into other countries. When, the Muslim, when Islam went into the other countries, it came peacefully. It came for their goodness, for their well-being, because the Muslim leader, if it is the case that, because uh, a person may say, well, what, what, where does this fighting come into being? I mean, where does this fighting come into play? The messenger is saying, I've been ordered to fight those who, uh, I've been ordered to fight the people. Are you fighting you? Okay, if it is the case that a leader of a Muslim country has Muslims, or there are Muslims that are living under the authority of a non-Muslim tyrannical, or even a Muslim tyrannical governancy, leadership, government, then no doubt the other Muslim leader he will want to liberate them. Liberate them from the oppression that they're in. Liberate them from the uh, 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 oppression and the torture that they may be undergoing uh, at the hands of that tyrannical ruler. And thus he's going to fight them. 
the Muslim leader, he sends messengers, envoys, ministers to preach their religion in another country. Those ministers, they are then killed by the government of that country. That is what? That could be a declaration of war. And therefore, no doubt, like any other country, he'll be at war with those countries. But is it the case that Islam only says that that is just Darul Islam and Darul Harb? The land of Islam, a country of Islam, and a country of war that we're at war at. No. There are also those countries within uh, that the Muslim countries and the Muslim leaders have agreements with, pacts with, they have covenants with, they have treaties, peace treaties with. And those peace treaties, they are not, they are not allowed to be broken. The Messenger alayhi salatu he had peace treaties, he had covenants, he had pacts with disbelieving societies. And never ever did he break any of those covenants. Never ever did he break any of those agreements. Look at the example of Hudayfa ibn Yaman. He is leaving Yemen with his father to join which battle? The battle of Badr. Now he's on the way to join the Messenger of Allah والسلام, to join the battle of Badr. Who catches him? Mushrikeen, the polytheists of Mecca. When they capture him, they said, we will free you on a condition that you take an agreement with us that you will not join Muhammad and his army. Don't join the army. Don't join the battle. We'll free you and your father. But don't join Muhammad and his army in the battle. Ibn Yaman, he said, okay. I'm just going to make hijrah. I'm just going to go to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Yani yani I'm going to make hijrah. I'm not going to join the army. When Hudayfa ibn Yaman arrived in Al-Madina, what did the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam say to him? Did the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam say to him, break the agreement because this is the first battle that the Muslims are going to participate in? No. He told him to fulfill the agreement. We're going to fulfill our agreement with them. With these people that are coming to annihilate us, these people that have persecuted us, these people that have tortured us, just because we said, La ilaha illallah, these people that drove us out of our home, just because we said, La ilaha illallah, we're going to fulfill the agreement that we have with them. Did the Messenger say, well, we only have a third of what they have. Thousand, of, thousand odd of them and just 300 odd of us. Messenger Alayhi said, no, fulfill the agreement. He didn't say break the agreement because well, we're just a third of their army. Fulfill the agreement. And thus we see clearly that the Muslims are not a people of Ghadar. We're not a people of deception. We are a people who fulfill their contracts. We... Those that are, that are in this country, whether we are born and citizens of this country, whether we, whether we were born somewhere else and then came in this country under a visa, under asylum, under whatever it may be, we have a contract with this country. And upon us is to fulfill that contract by not being treacherous 
to that contract by not waging war in this land. Why? Because we came into this country or we were born in this country and we are citizens of this country and we have a contract with this country that we are not to wage war against that, this country. We have that agreement, we have to stick to that agreement. And therefore, and the one that does so, what's his punishment? The one that breaks his agreement for him on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, there will be, uh, 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 the Messenger alayhi salatu salam, he said, يُرْفَعُ لِكُلِّ غَادِرٍ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ لِوَاءٍ On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, a banner <coughs> shall be raised for every single person of ghadr, every person of treachery. And it shall be said, هَذِهِ غَدْرَةُ fulan. This is the ghadr of so-and-so. This is the treachery of so-and-so. And every and all the countries, on the most part, they have agreements and pacts between them. Agreements of peace, agreements of, 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 of not waging war against them, and so on and so forth. So therefore, not only is there, so not only does there exist Dar al, uh, Dar al Islam, the countries of Islam, not only is there Dar al Harb, those countries that the Muslims might be at war at, but likewise there are those countries within which there are agreements and contracts between the Muslim countries and non Muslim countries of peace and safe and security, not waging war against them. And, the, and therefore the Muslims, they are obliged to stick to those agreements. The Muslims are not allowed to be treacherous to those agreements. And therefore when the Muslims went into the other lands calling to Islam, none of that entailed killing the people there, forcing them to embrace Islam. None of that entailed imposing the Arab culture upon them. Rather, the people, they kept their culture, unlike the other colonizing and imperialists that colonized the different nations. So the point is, and the point that needs to be very, very clear concerning this statement, umirtu an nas. the messenger said, I was ordered to fight the people, meaning fight those that are fighting you, fight those that are putting a, a hindrance in you calling to Islam, a physical a uh, 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 physical threatening hindrance in you calling to Islam and therefore we see in the history of the war and the battle that the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam took, uh, 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 took part in eight years of engaging in battles how many people were killed? how many people were killed? 800 to 900 people killed 800 to 900 people over eight to nine years so the whole of the Arabian Peninsula is now under the authority of the Messenger Battles, wars, skirmishes, whatever take place, 800, 800 to 900 lives were lost. Compare that now to World War I. How many? Millions. World War II. Is it 60 million or something? Huh? 55 million in World War II. And as a result of what? Calling to Tawheed, calling to goodness and well-being for societies. All of these uh, 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 colonizing nations that colonize the different countries. What did they go in for? When Islam, Islam that is by Quran and Sunnah, when that came into countries, that was to liberate people from the worship of man to the worship of the creator of man. From the worship of creation to the worship of the creator. To liberate people from the oppression that they were under, 
under the tyrannical governments that were governing them. That is the reason, and that is the reason why Islam came to those countries. That is why Indonesia, the biggest Muslim country in the world today, Indonesia, Malaysia, how did they become Muslim? As a result of interacting with the Muslims through, the, through business and trade, kept their culture. Do you see that Indonesia today, Indonesia today is nothing but Arab culture? Are they Arabs or are they Indonesians, the Malaysians, the indigenous society? Unlike, for example, go to Americas, North America, North America. What do you find there? Are the Native Americans still there? Populating, densely populating the country? No. It was about what? Raping the country of its resources. Raping the country of its riches. Go to South Africa, same thing. Go to Australia, where are the Aborigines now? Rape the country of its resources. Kill the people. Look at, for example, India. India just... So the Messenger, والسلام, in the eight years of engaging in warfare, 800 to 900 people were killed. 800 to 900 people were killed. As a result of what? Taking people out of true darkness and bringing them into true light. Out of wanting nothing but goodness for those people. Out of mercy for, for those people. In contrast to, for example, Columbus when he went to the Americas. You got native, native Indians there. Do they understand Spanish? They don't understand Spanish. So when the, the Spanish arrive in America, they say you have to embrace Christianity. If you don't, we're going to kill you. There's no other option. We're going to kill you. And they will read an agreement. They will read a, uh, just like in, in England, for example, the police reads the rights to the culprit before they arrest them, don't they? I'm going to read you your rights, the policeman says. You have the right to remain silent. and I don't know the rest of it. But. So now, in a similar fashion, the Spanish, once they arrive in America, embrace Christianity, otherwise we're going to kill you. All right, you're not going to embrace it? Okay, we're going to read you your rights. So they read them, the Constitution, whatever it may be. The guy doesn't even understand Spanish. He's a native Indian. He's a native American. Without an interpreter, without... We're going to read you this, and then straight after that, they'll kill him. So now, compare what the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, 800 to 900 people killed, and then compare that to, for example, under the authority and under the governancy of Winston Churchill, the genocide that occurred and was practiced against the Indian Bengal, the, 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 the Indian Bengalis, the, the Indians of Bengal, that there was a, 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 a famine that was manufactured in order to kill, mass killing of 400 Bengali Indians? No. 4,000? No. 40,000? No. 400,000? No. 4 million in a space of just 5 years. 4 million Indian Bengalis wiped clean off the face of this earth. Why? Because to make the pockets of others bigger than they, were, than they already were. To rape a nation of its riches. To rape a nation of its riches and its resources. So Islam never came to rape a nation of its resources. To take away the riches of a country. Rather it came to liberate them. Unlike the colonizing nations, the imperialists that came 
to do nothing, to do nothing other than steal and rape and plunder. So next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll continue. That was an important, that, 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 point, that point had to be made concerning, uh, when citing this hadith, because a person may say, well, the messenger says, umirtu an uqatil nas I've been commanded to fight the people. So therefore, EDL, ISIS, all of these people, they are right. They are right when they say Islam condones these things. No, 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 no. We, the messenger was commanded to fight those who fight them, as we explained earlier. And next week we'll complete the explanation of this hadith. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.